the golden voice of the great southwest and you're listening to Loafer's Glory, the hobo jungle of the mind. Henry David Thoreau. All voting is a sort of gaming, like checkers or backgammon, a playing with right or wrong. Its obligation never exceeds that of expediency. Even voting for the right thing is doing nothing for it. A wise man will not leave the right to the mercy of chance, nor wish it to prevail through the power of the majority. I'll get into that a little bit later on. Right now, I need to introduce myself, Utah Phillips, uh, Steve Baker, who's pushing the knobs, uh, twirling the dials. That was the music of the Borsdorf, my old friends, Hawks and Eagles. It is up there in Chico, California. And then, of course, Henry David Thoreau. Well, now, a disclaimer. You see, I, I did that little pronouncement from, from Thoreau about elections, about electoral politics, uh, which I don't believe in particularly. I, I believe in Ammon's way, Ammon Hennessy, Dorothy Day, the Catholic worker, where your body is your ballot, and you cast it in behalf of the people around you every day of your life as much as possible. And, and nobody can tell you, nobody can tell me I haven't voted. I just don't assign responsibility to do things to other people. I try to accept the responsibility and see to it that things get done. It's a little different way of looking at voting, isn't it? This radio program is uh, one of my ways of voting. Nonetheless, now I've done two programs uh, on the progressive movement. The last one was Paul Robeson. I'm going to do a, a third one and then hang that idea up for a while. Uh, so nonetheless, voting aside, uh, a central figure to that progressive movement from the Depression up till the end of the Second World War was Franklin D. Roosevelt, President Roosevelt. I guess most people, when they think about President Roosevelt, remember him as a person who helped to get rid of Prohibition. Of course, during Prohibition, there were booze lords. Uh, the rattle of machine guns in the street. You couldn't go to sleep uh, for the fall bodies falling in the alleys. Well, of course, uh, Prohibition ended. The gangsters all went into politics, I suppose. Now, the end of Prohibition didn't bring alcohol abuse down. It didn't bring the incidence of alcoholism down, but most of the killing stopped. Isn't there a lesson we can learn from that about uh, the drug lords, uh, the war on drugs today? That's a lesson for today. Well, let's get Prohibition out of the way. Bill Cox, a week after the 1936 election, he wrote this song. I learned this from Mike Seeger on Rosalie Sorrell's front porch about... 40 years ago. Well, hand me my old Martin, for soon I will be starting back to dear old Charleston far away. Since Roosevelt's been reelected, will not be neglected, 
We've got Franklin D. Roosevelt back again. I'm back again, back again. Uh, we've got Franklin D. Roosevelt back again. Since Roosevelt's been elected, moonshine liquor's been corrected. We've got legal wine and whiskey, beer and gin. I'll take a jug of brandy and make myself right handy. Those good old times are coming back again. You can laugh and drink and smoke. You can even tell a joke. We've got Franklin D. Roosevelt back again. I'm back again. I'm back again. Oh, we've got Franklin D. Roosevelt back again. We'll have money in our jeans. We can travel with the queen. We've got Franklin D. Roosevelt back again. No more bread lines, we're glad to say. The donkey won election day. No more standing in the blowing snow and rain. For now we're working every day. Shorter hours and higher pay. We've got Franklin D. Roosevelt back again. I'm back again. I'm back again. We've got Franklin D. Roosevelt back again. Since Roosevelt's been reelected, moonshine liquor's been corrected. We've got Franklin D. Roosevelt back again. Well, the golden voice strikes again. Uh, there was a recorded version of that out there somewhere. I've just not been able to find it, but hell, as long as I know the song, I might as well uh, sing it myself. Yeah, the Great Depression. Most people. So poor they couldn't even pay heed. That low bluegrass humor again. I remember old Bill Giggler lived up the road for me on uh, on Bergen Lane. He passed away. He was in his 90s. Small man raised chickens during the Depression. He talked about that. Raised chickens and sold the eggs. But then the, the, the prices went down for his eggs, and then all of his utilities went up, price of electricity, price of feed. Everything went up. He knew that somebody was making money off of those eggs, and it wasn't him. So old Bill Giggler did his own independent market study. He took an egg he was about to send out and an indelible pencil, wrote on the side of it, I just sold this egg for five cents. I'd appreciate it if you'd send me a letter and tell me how much you paid for it, and sent it out with the batch. Well, he said about three months later he got a, he got a letter from the United States Department of Agriculture right on their own letterhead. He still had it. It looked pretty. And that letter said, Dear Mr. Giggler, I've been asked to inform you that the Secretary of Agriculture, while delivering a speech to the farmers of Kansas, received your egg for nothing. Bob Miller. Bob Miller started out at the age of 11... Uh, writing epitaphs for the local undertaker. That would have been down in Memphis, Tennessee. In the 20s and the 30s, he wrote a lot of songs for rural southerners, uh, for Carson J. Robeson. He wrote There's a Star-Spangled Banner Waving Somewhere. His best-known song is 11-cent cotton and 40-cent meat. As a, like I say, the, the price for your goods is so far down, and, and the price for what you need to get through the world went way, way up. The original version of, of this song was written along with Emma Dermer. He upra- uh, updated it for the Depression. Well, here's that very song, sung by Bob Miller in 1932, accompanied by the Clayton McMitchin Band. 11-cent cotton, 40-cent meat. 11-cent cotton. 
used to wrinkle our brow, but oh, good Lord, look what it's at now. We've gone in debt way past our ears, ain't had a square meal in the last four years, ain't felt no money in such a long time. I'd feel that I was rich if I had a thin dime. There's no use talking any man's feet with five cents cotton and corn fed meat. Five cents cotton and forty cents meat. How in the hell can a poor man eat? Voting time is coming and just watch us all. You can bet your hide there'll be a change somewhere this fall. Past four years have been mighty bad. Had to tighten up our belts and our clothes look sad. There's no use talking any man's feet with five cents cotton and forty cents meat. Five cent cotton and forty cent meat. How in the hell can a poor man eat? Just look me over and you can see that a good square meal is gonna kill poor me. In Washington they eat the corn while we get the cob. But after next election someone will be looking for a job. There's no use talking any man's feet with five cent cotton and forty cent meat. Five cent cotton and forty cent meat. How in the world can a poor man eat? The folks up in Washington are fat and full, while we've been starving on promises and bull. And wasn't we promised a full dinner pail? But the only thing that's full is our county jail. There's no use talking any man's feet with five cent cotton and forty cent meat. Five cent cotton and forty cent meat. How in the world can a poor man eat? The harder we work, the less we have. We know that farm relief has been a lot of fat. When our clothes wear out, we'll all go nude. But what are we going to substitute instead of food? There's no use talking any man's feet with five cent cotton and forty cent meat. Ain't no use of talking, we're gonna make a change. There's always a liniment for every name. The liniment for high times is testing our vote and getting rid of them who rock the boat. We've all been fooled when times were good, but now we gotta think as we should. There's no use talking any man's feet with five cent cotton that's impossible to eat. Oh, isn't that a grand song? I think that song probably could have been written yesterday or maybe tomorrow. I think, at least when I was growing up, we talk about the Depression. We thought about, all oh, the big strikes and organizing drives and steel in the auto industry, the rubber industry, uh, the long, long lines in front of the soup kitchens, uh, uh, the great urban poverty, the, the slow grinding to a halt of the industrial base. And we seldom dwelt on the rural poverty, which was in many ways far more cruel because there was so little around you to, to give you a hand up. Now, John Hancox was an Arkansas farmer, African-American. He raised corn and uh, part-time distilled moonshine. Well, in the mid-1930s, he became an organizer for the Southern Tenant Farmers Union. Now, tenant farmer, that's when the landlord owns the land. You don't own the land. You just farm it on shares. He rents it to you, and then you give him part a, a healthy part of what it is that you sell your uh, your goods for. Like I say, farm prices were way, way down, and the tenant farmers were the ones who were probably hit the hardest in rural America. So he went uh, 
to work for the union, the Southern Tenant Farmers Union. Uh, Mr. Hancock said, quote, So we began to talk about a strike. Most of us was working from sunup to sundown for less than 70 cents a day. We wanted $1.50 a day for 10 hours' work. We made handbills and posters and signs telling what we wanted and plastered them up all over the place. Well, there was about 4,000 altogether who said they would go on strike, unquote. That strike took place May 18, 1936. It was broken up by the National Guard, busting heads sent in by the governor of Arkansas, and then the, the people who owned the land. They went into those tenant farmers' shacks, their houses, and they took all of their goods, everything they owned, and they set it out on the road. Those were the evictions. Well, here's two songs that John Hancock's made up, sung by him. One song was written uh, about helping to organize the union, and the second about the aftermath of the strike. Join the union tonight, and there's mean things happening in this land. John Hancock's. Join the union tonight by John Hancock. 1933, Help the union to grow strong. Oh, get in, roll, stop toting such a load. Join the union tonight. There is mean things happening in this land. There is mean things happening in this land. But the union's going on, and the union's growing strong. There is mean things happening in this land. On the 18th day of May, the union called a strike, but planners and their bosses told the people of their shack, there is mean things happening in this land. There is mean things happening in this land, but the union's going on, and the union's growing strong. There is mean things happening in this land. Well, now, John Hancock's. Well, anybody who knows anything or tries to sing this old music, John Hancock's is a legend to all of us. Well, the progressive movement responded to the Depression, which can only be called the failure of capitalism. Now, let's get that straight. It can only be called the failure of capitalism. Well, it responded to the Depression with a series of demands. Full employment at fair wages, racial equality, social security, minimum wage, unemployment insurance, the absolute right to organize in the workplace and to bargain collectively, freedom from coercion and persecution for exercising basic human rights, and total freedom of expression. The election of 1932 looked like one way to realize those goals. Many were, and are with us today, like Social Security, minimum wage, unemployment insurance. Now look, Those things were not benevolent gifts from an enlightened management. No, sir, they were fought for, bled for, died for by people out on the picket line, people in the streets, people in the voting place. They were rammed down the boss's throat, kicking and screaming. Now, those are the very things that these schmucks in Washington, these conservatives are trying to give away, trying to privatize, 
trying to turn into money makers. You know, it's, it's a, a raid on the public exchequer. No, we fought for these things. We gave them to ourselves. And we've got to fight to hold on to them, too. In 1932, Al Smith and Franklin Delano Roosevelt were battling for the Democratic Party presidential nomination. On July 28th, Bob Miller... We played some of his music at the beginning. Bob Miller, in, in anticipation of the election, went into the Victor studio and recorded nine songs. Here's one of those. Listen to The Poor Forgotten Man. Who's gonna vote on election day? Who's finally gonna have his say? Who's gonna cause a change? Hey, hey, it's the poor forgotten man. Who's been the backbone of our country? It's the poor forgotten man. Who always fought for liberty? It's the poor forgotten man. Politicians sing and dance, got the poor man in the trance. Who gets kicked right in his pants? It's the poor forgotten man. Think of that. 
In these days of the cosmetic presidency, could anyone with that kind of disability be elected? Today, though, when I think about FDR, my mind goes back to his family farm on the eastern shore of the Hudson River in New York State. It's a park now, and while I was playing through the area, I took the time to tour the main house, a rambling, mossy, comfortable mansion with a porch looking way over the Hudson Valley. I was taken down to the basement, and there on racks I saw the dark, laminated spars of massive, but somehow delicate, ice boats. Ice boating. A sport that doesn't require the use of one's legs. I studied the ice boats, and imagined one of them assembled on a frozen bay or inlet, the long bar and tiller with its skate and a place to lie down, the crossbar with its curved steel outriggers on the high, slender mast. I imagined the ice boat skimming through great swirls of snow with the sail billowed by a howling wind rolling down the Hudson Valley from Canada. And Franklin Roosevelt lying there, rope in one hand, tiller in the other, tense, awake, alive to the sound of the wind and the scree of the blades over the ice. That's about the only personal thought I have about the man. I don't know what it means. Right now, we're going to listen to FDR's inaugural address, and then a musical cantata or play recorded in 1955 by the National Guardian, The Unforgotten Man. I, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. This is a day of national consecration. And I am certain that on this day my fellow Americans expect that on my induction into the presidency, I will address them with a candor and a decision which the present situation of our people impels. This is preeminently the time to speak the truth, the whole truth, frankly and boldly. Taxes have risen. Our ability to pay has fallen. Government of all kinds is faced by serious curtailment of income. The means of exchange are frozen in the currents of trade. The withered leaves of industrial enterprise lie on every side. Farmers find no market for their produce and the savings of many years and thousands of families are gone. More important, a host of unemployed citizens face the grim problem of existence and an equally great number toil with little return. Only a foolish optimist can deny the dark realities of the moment. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief but the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. This land is your land, this land is my land, from California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. Mm. Would you mind telling me your name? Macmillan. Joe Macmillan. 
Now, Mr. McMillan, just what is your occupation? I'm a communications consultant, sort of a conversational engineer. Some people call it wiretapping, only we don't like to use that word. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your equipment? Yeah, sure. The stuff we get today, it's really great. I mean, any wiretapper worth his fee, he's not going to make no clicks and buzzes and stuff like that. Not a sound. Nothing. You mean there is no way today for a man to be absolutely sure that nobody's listening in? Yeah, there's a way. Don't talk. Like I tell my clients. Well, you and I appeared as a witness for the government, and I swore that I knew this gentleman was a communist. I, I said he talked to me all about world revolution. Altogether, I guess I named about 50 or 60 people as communists. Every time the government attorney mentioned a name, I'd say, sure, he's a communist. Later on, I read the record of what I said, and I thought... Anybody who believes this ought to be in a booby hatch. It was really funny. You know, sometimes I think I must be a little loony, but not any more loony than all the ones that believe me. <laughs> Golly, sometimes I think we're all a little nutty, only some people are more nutty than other people. Say, friends, let's speak right out about flash burns. World conditions being as tough as they are, it's time to be frank and realistic with ourselves. A-bombs play no favorites. That's where VIP comes in. If we do become a target... We'll have burns. Just apply VIP. Spread it on, that's all. Your druggist has VIP. So get half a dozen 50-cent tubes or dollar tins. Keep them in your first aid kit and around the house, where you can get to them quick in case you need them. VIP doesn't mean perhaps. It's sure. Maybe you think people always talked like that. You know, son, when I hear voices like that, I find myself thinking back to the time when I was young and growing up like you. Today, the loudest voices are the ones telling you, don't say anything, don't sign anything, stand still, be careful, keep your nose clean. And sometimes you seem kind of bewildered, wondering, where do we go from here? Well... We wondered, too, in our time. Like you, we found ourselves paralyzed by fear. Ours was economic. We seemed to live inside the great Hoover machine, Herbie's automatic paralyzer. One by one, the factories slowed down and quit. The farmers went through the motions of sending their stuff to market, but nobody could buy it. We picked up the papers, we turned to the help wanted, and came up with zero. Hoover telling us all the time, prosperity's just around the corner. Sit tight. Keep smiling. Everything will work itself My, up. it's just a bowl of cherries. Don't take it serious. It's too mysterious. You laugh, you play. Yeah, it worked itself out all right. It worked itself out into total unemployment. The only ones with steady jobs were the police. Once I built a railroad, made it run, made it race against time. Once I built a railroad, now it's done. Brother, can you spare a dime? Once I built a tower, sun, brick and rivet and line. Once I built a tower, 
Now it's done. Brother, can you spare it? The only thing we had in common, except unemployment, was fear. But sitting still turned the crisis into a catastrophe. I can remember now how I felt then. How we came to the point of either dying or moving. So, we moved. The government said, Mr. Drunzik, the Iceman, is not for the people. Everything the people get, they fight for until they get it. If the government was for the people, they should never have to beg or fight or starve for anything. The people should always have it. If my approach is unnatural, please correct me, which I will appreciate. Thank you. It was a hard time, like a war in midwinter. I mean, maybe we didn't look it, but we were all G.I.s in a second valley forge. And we had a commander-in-chief. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. It was natural, and perhaps human, that the privileged princes of these new economic dynasties, thirsting for power, reached out for control over government itself. They created a new despotism, wrapped it in the robes of legal sanction. In its service, new mercenaries sought to regiment the people, their labor, and their property. As a result, the average man once more confronts the problems that faced the Minutemen. Minutemen of the 30s lived in Hoovervilles, in shacks made out of packing crates. The only thing that made it bearable was that the high-talking phonies of the 20s weren't making half the noise we were. And the government wasn't too far behind the people, looking like it was going in the same direction. I see millions of families trying to live on incomes so meager that the pall of family disaster hangs over them day by day. I see millions whose daily lives in city and on farm, continue under conditions labeled indecent by a so-called society half a century ago. Program, sir. Here's your program. I'll be second. These are real plays like a newspaper, a living newspaper. January 17th, 1938. Opening night, Federal Theater production, one-third of a nation. <laughs> All right, Jack, wake up. Let your feet hit the floor. I said I got some sleeping to do. I ain't gonna get up. I'm sick and I'm gonna sleep. What do you think I pay three dollars a week for this bed for? Same reason I do, I expect. There are three of us paying for this bed. You get your eight hours, I get mine, and Bob, he gets his. And they ain't but 24 hours in a day. 24 hours. Why don't you stop jiving and get out of that bed? By God, I gotta sleep, I tell you. In the bed out of the bed, first me, then you, then that other fella. What kind of thing is this anyhow? I see millions denied education, recreation, and the opportunity to better the lot of their children. Newburgh, New York, August 20th, 1935. Mrs. Dorothy Sherwood Mrs. Dorothy Sherwood walked into police headquarters this morning carrying the body of her four-year-old son. She told police, quote, I just drowned my son. I couldn't feed him and I couldn't see him hungry. Close quote. She was held on a charge of murder. I see millions lacking the means to buy the products of farm and factory 
and by their poverty, denying work and productiveness to many other millions. Sometimes I feel like I've lived on this Arkansas patch since the world began. Maybe I'll be here when everybody else has gone to heaven. Sometimes it don't seem possible that we're living at all, especially when I wake up in the morning and see the children getting up and getting dressed and walking around in the kitchen. It's hardly a crumb of food, and they, they make a fire and, in the cook stove, and I scrape together a little cornmeal and when there's any to scrape, and I cook it with salt and water. It's hardly a crumb of food, and they, they make a fire and, in the cook stove, and I scrape together a little cornmeal and when there's any to scrape, and I cook it with salt and water. A lot of times I, I just sat and wondered if, if there's anything else in the world to eat. I see one third of a nation, ill of a nation, nourished. It is not in despair that I, I paint it for you in hope, because the nation, seeing and understanding the injustice in it, proposes to paint it out. <laughs> Now, if you want higher wages, let me tell you what to do. Got to talk to the workers in the shop with you. You got to build you a union, got to make it strong. But if you all stick together, boys, won't be long. You get shorter hours. Better working conditions. Vacations with pay. Take your kids to the seashore. Course, it ain't quite that simple, so I better explain just why you got to ride on the union train. Because if you wait for the boss to raise your pay, we'll all be waiting till Judgment Day. We'll all be buried. Gone to heaven. St. Peter will be the straw boss then, boy. Now, you know you're underpaid, but the boss says you ain't. He speeds up the work till you're about to faint. You may be down and out, but you ain't beating. You can pass out a leaflet. Call a meeting. Talk it over. Speak your mind. Decide to do something about it. Cause the boss may persuade some poor damn fool to go to your meeting and act like a stool. But you can always tell a stool, though, that's the fact. He's got a rotten streak running down his back. He doesn't have to stool, you know. He'll always make a good living on what he takes out of blind men's cups. Ah, well, down in Pittsburgh, here's what they found. Out in Bethlehem, here's what they found. Out in Detroit, here's what they found. Out in Frisco, here's what they found. That if you don't let red baiting break you up, if you don't let stool pigeons break you up, if you don't let vigilantes break you up, and if you don't let race hatred break you up, you'll win. What I mean, take it easy, but take it. This administration, from the very beginning, has insisted upon the assurance to labor of the untrammeled right not privilege, but right to organize and bargain collectively with its employers. That principle has now become firmly embedded in the law of the land. It must remain as the foundation of industrial relations for all time. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Who never was afraid of goons and geeks and company finks and the deputy sheriff who made the raid. She went to the union hall when a meeting it was called. 
And when the company boys came round, she always stood her ground. Oh, you can't scare me, I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union. Oh, you can't scare me, I'm sticking to the union. I'm sticking to the union till the day I die. Everybody was organizing, even the unemployed. The country needed a lot of work. And when free enterprise wasn't enterprising, the people and the government did the job. The PWA, the WPA, the CCC, a lot more letters. And we had songs to go with them. I remember one of them. The PWA Blues. It went like this. Lord, Mr. President, listen to what I'm going to say. Mr. President, listen to what I'm going to say. You can take away all the alphabet, but please leave that PWA. Well, now you are in, Mr. President. And I hope you're there to stay Well, now you are in, Mr. President And I hope you're there to stay But whatever changes that you make Please keep that PWA Well, now I went to the polls and voted, voted the right way. Mm, I went to the polls and voted, voted the right way. And I'm praying to you, Mr. President, please keep that PWA. And we built roads and schools and dams and courthouses and post offices. And we had murals to go with them. They sent symphonies and big-time theater to the backwoods. And some of them said we were stepping on sacred ground. But we even started to do something about the electric bill. Daddy, who runs the post office? Mm, the government runs the post office. Why does the government run the post office? Because it's too important to let anybody else run it. Well, Daddy, don't you think electricity is important? Oh, my name is William Edwards, and I live down Cold Creek Way. I'm working on the project they call the TVA. The government's begun it when I was but a child, and now they are in earnest, and Tennessee's gone wild. And in a quiet way, Arkansas went wild, too. Yeah, yeah, get up, you! Get up! Long time since I drive a pretty little old mule like you. You know what I'm going to call you? Government. Yeah, man. That's where you come from, and that's what I'm going to call you. Oh, government say, Jim, you take this money, you buy yourself a plow and a mule, and you raise yourself a crop, and that's just what I'm doing. Get up, government! Ho! Ho! Yeah, the country was younger than it had been in years. We got ourselves born all over again with a brand new Bill of Rights. It just took somebody to put it into words. In our day, these economic crudes 
have become accepted as self-evident. We have accepted, so to speak, a second Bill of Rights. Among these are the right to a useful and remunerative job in the industries or shops or farms of the nation, the right to earn enough to provide adequate food and clothing and recreation. National Unemployment Day. This is the story I'm writing for tomorrow's New York world. These are the scenes witnesses saw. Woman struck in the face with blackjacks. Boys beaten by gangs of seven and eight policemen. They saw detectives, some wearing reporters' cards and hat bands, many wearing no badges, running wildly through the crowd, screaming as they beat and kicked those who had come out to get This is preeminently the time to speak the truth, the whole truth, frankly and boldly. Nor need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today. This great nation will endure as it has endured. We'll revive and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. They were moving, and they were talking. They were asking, and they were demanding. We were alive at last, and it was the greatest. All right, brother, what's your beat? Fire away! Go on the air! Unbutton your lip and let it flip. What I mean, we talked, and we didn't beat around the bush. We'd come up and meet and open up and hit it right on the nose. I want work now. Don't like the government. Through the belt speech. I say he's right. Get yourself a soapbox. Got one, brother. Come out flat with it. Come loose, sister. Take off your gloves. Shoot the bridge. Let your hair down. Make no bones. Cock it up. Right. And shoot from the hip. Flip your lips. Those were the days of free talk. The people moved. But so did the opposition. Men and women organized steel and rubber auto and textiles, and Congressman Dyes investigated them, and the Congress put bills through the hopper to stifle the organizers and scare the unorganized. But the march went on, and the people kept talking, kept fighting back. The nightshirt boys rode hard the Ku Klux Klan, cocky shirts, silver shirts, blue shirts, the white band and the black legion, Father Coughlin and Huey Long. Informers and stool pigeons, labor spies and goons. Freedom of speech is of no use to a man who has nothing to say. The only liberties you had were the ones you fought for. Uh, Mr. President, 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 sir, there's a bill in the Senate that extends the life of the civil liberties measure. It's jammed up somewhere. Do you know about it? I've said it before, and I want to make it just as strong as I possibly can that we must constantly be vigilant against the attacks of intolerance and injustice. We must scrupulously guard the civil rights and civil liberties of all citizens, whatever their background. We welcome the work to maintain the rights 
of the foreign born. quiet yesterdays has it happened. You may burn my flesh and bones and throw the ashes to the four winds, smiled one of them. Yet my voice shall linger on. And in the years to come, the young shall ask, what was the idea for which you gave me death? And what was I saying? that I must die for what I said. There can be no constitutional democracy in any community which denies to the individual his freedom to speak and worship as he wishes. The American people will not be deceived by anyone who attempts to suppress individual liberty under the pretense of patriotism. Nobody deceived me, mister. It was just as clear as daylight when I saw that Nazi swastika on the flag and the name Bremen right on the side of the ship. That flag right in our city, not ten blocks from where I live. I kept looking at that flag so I could stay mad and not get scared. We were all dolled up so we looked like visitors when we went up the gangplank. I watched that man climb up the pole, and then I saw the swastika come down... And then I heard the people down in the pier. It sounded like there were thousands of them. I heard them yell and cheer. And I didn't even know when I got hit. But afterwards, I felt good. Real good. We daughters of the American Revolution consider the rising tide of disaffection to come from the communistic and anarchistic elements of certain national origins. We are sadly in need of more careful scrutiny of those who come to our shores. Remember, remember always that all of us, and you and the daughters of the American Revolution, and I especially, are descended from immigrants and revolutionists. The service of democracy is the birthright of every citizen, the white and the colored, the Protestant the Catholic, the Jew, the sons and daughters of every country in the world who make up the people of this land. Democracy is every man and woman who loves freedom and serves the cause of freedom. For I have always believed it and I believe it now. June 22, 1938, Max Schmeling was not only a prize fighter, he was the official, delegated, certified, grade A representative of the master race, the Nazis' pride. You see, it was more than just a fight. 
It was the whole idea of master races against everything we believed in. All wrapped up in a brown bomber named Joe Lewis. Right and left to the head, a left to the jaw, a right to the head, and Donovan is watching carefully. Lewis measures him, right to the body, a left up to the jaw, and Schmeling is down. The count is five, five, six, seven, eight. The men are in the ring. The fight is over on a technical knockout. Max Schmeling is beaten in one round. That cheering rolled right out of Yankee Stadium and all the way to Brooklyn. Old ladies danced a jig in Times Square, son. I saw them. And the kids snake danced through Harlem, through Piccadilly, and Paris, too. Son, I mean, it was a great day. Round and round, hit the straight, round and round we go. Unconditional surrender means the end of Nazism and of the Nazi party and of all of its barbaric laws and institutions. It means the complete disarmament of Germany. A conference of all of the United Nations of the world will meet in San Francisco on April 25, 1945. There we all hope and confidently expect to execute a definite charter of organization under which the peace of the world will be preserved and the forces of aggression permanently outlawed. The Yalta Conference was a successful effort by the three leading nations to find a common ground for peace. There it is. Roosevelt spilled the beans again. He told all about Yalta years before the New York Times did. The meaning of Yalta is... Shh, don't say it. Classified. Restricted. The meaning of Yalta is... Top secret. But everybody knows what the meaning of Yalta is. The meaning is peace. We're in the same boat, brother. We're in the same boat, brother. And if you shake one and you're gonna rock the other, it's the same boat, brother. We're in the same boat, brother. We're in the same boat, brother. And if you shake one and you're gonna rock the other, it's the same boat, brother. That morning we were moving down toward the river, the Elbert was. We could see guys moving around on the other side. We fired a green flare like they told us to. And a green flare lifted from across the river. Then we knew it was the Russians. Boy, I mean, then things really broke loose. We began to yell, Amerikansky, Amerikansky, Tavarish, Tavarish. The bridge was gone, but we, we found an old boat and got across. We ran toward the Russians. We were yelling and slapping each other on the shoulder, and we kind of embraced. And then there was a funny moment of silence, because we didn't know how to speak to each other. Well, I knew some German, and, and so did two of the Russians, so we finally got talking. Thinking back, that was a kind of crazy thing. Here we are, finally meeting, and, and the only way we could talk to each other was in the language of the enemy. I ain't gonna study war no more. I ain't gonna study war no more. I ain't gonna study war no more. 
about the time they shook hands at the Elb, son, you were getting out of the eighth grade. And now, some people are trying to say it never happened. The New Deal just never happened. The voices you just heard never really raised a holler. Americans always kept their noses clean and their mouths shut. Well, son, don't you believe it. It was real. I was there. That holler raised a lot of roots all over this land. It built things. Pick them off on your fingers. The Wagner Act, the minimum wage, Social Security, TVA, the CCC camps. Yeah, but the 30s weren't just that. They weren't just any list of laws. There were people singing, people moving, people hollering. And that holler is going to come again. Not for the same thing, not for the same song. The people have taken a long, deep, quiet breath. And pretty soon now, they're going to let go. We've got to raise a shout that'll blow the dust off our country. And then we'll do the work. A man summed up for us the day he died, ten years ago. The work, my friends, is peace. More than an end of this war, an end to the beginnings of all wars. Yes, an end forever to this impractical, unrealistic settlement of the differences between governments by the mass killings of peoples. Today, as we move against the terrible scourge of war, as we go forward to the greatest contribution that any generation of human beings can make in this world, the contribution of lasting peace, I ask you to keep up your faith. And to you, and to all Americans who dedicate themselves with us to the makings of an abiding peace, I say the only limit to our realization of tomorrow will be our doubts of today. Let us move forward with strong and active faith. United Nations on the march, we flag dancers. Together fight for victory, a has been Wolfer's Glory, the Hobo Jungle of the Mind. My name is Utah Phillips. Thanks for listening in Tapper Light. That poem we heard a couple of minutes ago. What was it? Who made that poem? Somebody write and tell me. And here it is again. How many times in the folded and quiet yesterdays has it happened? You may burn my flesh and bones and throw the ashes to the four winds, smiled one of them. Yet my voice shall linger on, and in the years to come the young shall ask, What was the idea for which you gave me death? And what was I saying that I must die for what I say? <laughs> <laughs>